Please be seated. If I was to ask you this morning, how many of you want peace? I'm sure all of you would answer, yes, I would like peace. The desire for peace is deeply rooted in, inside every human heart. We want peace of mind. We want peace in our homes. We want peace for our children, peace with our spouse, peace with our family members. We would like peace at work. We would like peace where we live, peace with our circumstances, peace with our past. Peace, we, we all want peace, but peace can be very elusive. There are many things that rob us of our peace, inner conflict or disagreements or fear. Fear does more to rob us of peace than any one thing. Our peace as a nation was rudely interrupted at 8.45 a.m. on September 11, 2001. Our entire country was thrown into a state of chaos and fear. Not a single civilian plane flew for seven days. The peace that we had as a nation was replaced with fear. Tall buildings were closed. Bridges were carefully guarded. Even our mail became a source of fear as we began to microwave may our mail afraid of anthrax. Today, safety is a national obsession. We all want peace. Got peace? Do you have peace today? Events, circumstances, and news stories can all rob us of our sense of well-being. And whether it's a national crisis or a personal crisis, our sense of well-being can be interrupted and disrupted without a moment's notice. We instantly lose our peace. Christmas, in its origin, is all about peace. In a, in a world filled with violence, uncertainty, turmoil, and fear, God landed on the planet and divided history into B.C. and A.D., before Christ and after Christ. And I'd like us to look at one of the passages of Scripture that describes this, just a short portion of it, and see what we can learn today about God's peace, his message. We're going to read from Luke 2, verses 8 through 14 this morning. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared, and the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. What did the angel say to the shepherds, and what, is it, what does he say to us today? A message from God to them and to us. Message to the shepherds and message to Eau Claire. His first part of the message, number one, was do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, I want you to put yourself for one moment in the shepherd's sandals. It's very obvious why they were afraid. They were simple, poor country folk. They worked in the countryside. They were, they were a long ways from actual civilization. They'd never seen an extraterrestrial. They hadn't heard about UFOs. They had never seen Star Trek or Star Wars or E.T. or Harry Potter. And in the middle of the night, this being shows up. An angel shows up and light shines all over. And they were absolutely terrified. 
Well, the angel had a great message for them, but first he needed to calm their fears. So he said, do not be afraid or stop being fearful. Stop being afraid. The same voice thunders through the years and says to you and to me, says to us, do not be afraid. Now, there are a lot of things that that bring fear. They rob us of our peace. What do we fear? What are we afraid of? We watch the news and see a child has disappeared and we fear for our children's safety. We see a movie about someone who contracted an incurable disease and we start imagining the symptoms. Or we read an article about early onset Alzheimer's and then we misplace our key or we find that we put our cell phone in the refrigerator. Fear. What do we fear? There There are several things that we fear. They're top fear factors. We fear the unexpected, whether it's a tragedy or accident or the unknown. We want all the facts. We want to know the plan. We fear what we don't know. Or we fear change. Things change so fast. We, we live in a culture, in a, in a world that has, that change is just rapid and constant all the time. We just figured out how to handle an infant and suddenly they're two years old or four years old. And then they're at the teenage years and it's like, what happened here? Fear factors. We fear failure. We're in a performance-based, success-oriented society and a culture, and we fear failure. Or maybe we're afraid to succeed. What challenges will I face if I go to the next level or if I succeed? Or conflicts. Some fear conflicts. We're, we're afraid to say anything to anybody that could be interpreted as an opinion. We're afraid to do anything that might cause conflict. Walking a tightrope of keeping peace, conflict avoidance, avoidance and people pleasing. This, this conflict fear. Or fear of the future. Some people just fear the future. It's unpredictable. It may be bright. It might be hazy. It might be dark. But we don't know the future, and so we're afraid of the future. Fear robs us of peace. And God, through his messenger, says to us, do not be afraid. Why? What gives the messenger the right to say, do not be afraid? Number two, he says, I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. This good news is so important that he sent it through a special envoy, a messenger, an angel of God. Now, the shepherds and the Jewish people desperately needed good news. They were a nation under foreign occupation. They had no freedom. They paid high taxes. They were a nation in turmoil. These were a people who believed in the one true God, and they had not heard his voice for over 400 years. Four centuries of the silence of God, darkness, and gloom. Their religious system had degenerated into something that was purely ceremonial or external rituals and just rites. It it was meaningless. They were living in this meaninglessness and hopelessness, powerless to control their destiny, their faith. They needed good news. Do you ever need to hear good news? We live in a world full of bad news. We love to hear good news. Your kid made the team. She got a great report card. Your family arrived home safe. Your health health test came back negative for cancer. The Badgers won. Or the Packers made the playoffs. The recession is over, or the election is over. Your braces are coming off next week, week, or interest rates are headed down, whatever that might be. Good news. We love good news, and good news brings joy. It, It brings peace. Do you have good peace? Do you need good news? What was the good news they brought? The third part of the message was a Savior has been born for you. A Savior. Now, 
What is a savior? What, what do I need a savior for? What do I need a savior for? A savior is someone who saves us. Very simply, makes sense? When I was in my 20s, several summer, summers I worked jo- a job as a lifeguard. And I had the opportunity to save lives. And there were numbers of people every time I worked at a pool or a lakefront where I actually pulled people out and I saved their lives. I was their savior. Now, I don't want to put myself on a pedestal because there, there are people that save people every day. Paramedics and firefighters and police officers and doctors, surgeons and nurses. People are saved every day. But what do we need to be saved from? What did the shepherds need a savior for? And what do we need a savior for? Centuries before this story, God created people. We know the first two is Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were given a free will. Free will. They were given parameters or guidelines governing right and wrong. They were in this relationship with their creator God. And they had that relationship. They were never forced to do right or wrong. They had a free will. They got to choose their actions, just like we get to choose today. Unfortunately, they chose wrong. And in the free exercise of their will, they chose to rebel against God, their father, and go their own way. And that act of rebellion, the Bible calls sin. And that action created a schism or a break in the relationship, much like if you and I had a fight or disagreement and we left angry, we'd have a schism, we'd have a divide between you and me. It creates a barrier, and that barrier gap needs to be bridged somehow. And between God and and, and humans, that bridge needed to be brought by a person. That person was Jesus. Somebody had to restore that broken relationship so we could once again have that relationship with him. In Romans 5.12, it says this. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death. And no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. Kirsten Powers, a correspondent, wrote wrote an article. And she says this, as theologian N.T. Wright points out, it's Christmas that is the moment when God launched a divine rescue mission of all mankind. A a divine rescue mission because mankind needed a savior. We needed to be saved. And she writes, God didn't just condescend to come to earth as a human. He came as a helpless infant. The king of kings was born amid barnyard animals and piles of hay after his lowly parents were turned away from the better lodging. And when the Magi came to see the Lord, there was no security on hand to judge whether or not they were worthy to come to see this baby or this king of kings. The Messiah, from the very beginning, was approachable. He was approachable. He was both one of us and at the same time God with us. He was flesh. He would hunger. He would bleed. He would love. He would thirst and he would die. None of this could have happened had he not been born fully human. This person, Jesus, was sent to live and to die, to be resurrected in order to restore this broken relationship that we had, humans to God. We cannot have true lasting peace until that relationship is restored. And we can't do that on our own. We needed someone to do that for us, a savior, someone to save us from ourselves, 
from our sin. Someone to bridge that gap. In Romans 5.19, it says, clearly through one person's disobedience, humanity became sinful. That was Adam. And through one person's obedience, humanity will receive God's approval. That was Jesus. Jesus became our Savior. So the messenger tells the shepherds, and the messenger tells us today, the good news is a Savior has been born for you. The theological term for this event is called the incarnation. God becoming a human being, one of us and living among us, moving into our neighborhood. And if you're skeptical of God becoming human or the incarnation, you're not alone. Lewis Castles tells a story of a non-religious skeptic who, honest in his unbelief, refused to attend a Christmas Eve service with his family. Instead, he said, I'm just going to stay home. You guys go ahead. He said, if I go to the service, I'll feel like a hypocrite because I don't believe in all this stuff. Shortly after his family drove away in their car, it began to snow. And he went to the window watching the flurries get heavier and heavier and then went back to his fireside chair to read. A few minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound and then another thud and another thud. It was a sort of a thump and it sounded like somebody was throwing snowballs at his picture window. He went to the front door to investigate and he found a flock of birds that were huddled miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter, they were flying and trying to fly through his picture window. He couldn't let them just lie there and die and freeze to death, so he remembered that they had a barn where the, his children kept their pony. And so, so he went out to the barn, put on his snow boots and his coat, opened the doors to the barn wide, turned on the light, thinking maybe the birds will come in. But they didn't. Then he figured maybe food would entice them. So he went back, got some breadcrumbs, and he sprinkled them along the snow, trying to get them to follow the, the breadcrumbs into the safety of the barn. But they just ignored it, and they continued to just flap helplessly in the, in the snow. Then he tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by waving his arms. Instead, they scattered in every direction. They went everywhere except into the lighted barn and warmth and safety. Then he realized they were afraid of him. To them, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. He says, if I could only think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, I'm not trying to hurt them. I'm trying to help them. But how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they were afraid of him. If I, only I could be a bird, he thought, and, and mingle with them and speak their language, then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to safe, warm, the safety of the barn. But I would have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. At that exact moment, the church bells began to ring in the distance. The sound of the bells in a Christmas carol reached his ears above the wind. He stood there listening to the bell, pealing the glad tidings about Christmas. He sank to his knees in the snow for the first time realizing what the incarnation was about. Jesus became one of us extended his hand to save us so that he could reestablish that relationship that was long lost. The last part of that 
message from the angel is number four, glory to God and peace to all people. Again, Christmas is the moment when God launched a divine rescue mission of all mankind. He, he came to earth as a baby. And he came to bring four different types of peace, many others, but four primary ones. First one is peace with God. Having that relationship with God, that vertical relationship with God, reestablish so we can have peace with God. And when we have peace with God, we have peace with ourselves. There's something that happens and transforms us when we are in right relationship with God. We have peace internally with ourselves. Then we can have peace with circumstances, believing that God is a God that loves us and is sovereign. And no matter what we're experiencing, sometimes very difficult times, even at Christmas time, we can have peace with our circumstances because we have a God we're related to that loves us and cares. And finally, peace with people. Peace with people. That's the horizontal peace which means peace on earth can become a reality if we start with God and move to peace with people. You got peace? Jesus came to bring you that peace. He calls on us to admit that we need a Savior, believe that Jesus is the Savior, confess our shortcomings or our sins, and then accept him as your Lord or leader. And when we do that, he will give us his peace. Got peace? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your peace. And that, Father, that comes through Jesus Christ. And we thank you. Thank you for the fact that you have been given new life to each and every one of us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we celebrate Christmas, that may, may it be new to us today, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would bring peace into our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name.